Welcome to the live 55-1 podcast at the Black Heart. Thank you for joining us. Yep. Uh, my name is Wes Burdine, and uh, it's the it's the she, easy easy. It's the uh, the Death Loon Solstice, so um, we've all been sitting on uh, boredom way too way too long. Uh, Benedetti Watch is now in its fifteenth month, and uh, I'm joined with uh, Bruce McGuire. Put your hands together for him. Uh, I'm also uh, joined by uh, Jeff Ruder of TheAthletic.com. And then uh, former Minnesota Thunder stars, player, assistant coach, kit man, and uh, butler, uh, Kevin Friedland. Fresh off the uh, coronavirus, this guy, so give him a hand. Yeah. Um, so we are, we're gathered here today to, uh, I, you know, we were going to have Carl Craig, but he last minute had to go to Detroit for, um, I don't know, for punk rock reasons or something. So uh, Kevin's a, the stand-in for, uh, for uh, a grizzled veteran. Um, but uh, what we're going to do is, on the podcast, uh, talk about, there's some crazy NASL stories. We want to talk about uh, best, uh, best 11 from the last decade for Minnesota players. And then at the end, I've got uh, the presentation of uh, the latest patron saint of Blackheart of St. Paul. Um, and so uh, l let me start this. Uh, Minnesota obviously was in the NASL from uh, 2010 uh, till 2016, right? Uh, we lived through some uh, dark, funny, stupid times. And uh, um, w one of the stories that I want to ask you about, Kevin, and, and you guys can help fill in, uh, is in 2012, Minnesota Stars are in the Open Cup. They go to the uh, Dennis the Menace in Des Moines, and they win, and they get a home game against Real Salt Lake. Uh, that year, the USS, U.S. soccer allowed teams to sell their hosting rights. I think it was the only year they allowed it to happen. Um, and so Minnesota was league-owned at the time. Uh, president of the team, George, Jorn, George, Jorn Buholtz, uh uh, then, like, announced that he sold the hosting rights, and tell me, and then tell me the the, the story of this. Then, yeah. So basically, what happened was um, on our way down to Des Moines, uh, the owner, and I, I came to find this part out later, but uh, the owner of uh, Real Salt Lake called Jorn and basically said, "Hey, if you guys win, are you willing to sell the game?" And we were league-owned at the time, so obviously we couldn't make our own financial decisions. Uh, so Jordan got a bonus for every like hundred thousand dollars he saved. So probably good for him. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you know he gets on the phone to the league office, and you know Manny wasn't on that trip because he was still suspended from the 2009 Open Cup. Did he throw his jacket? Um, threw his jacket on the ground? Uh, it was something like that. Uh, Anyway, so we go, we win the game, and no one really knows what's going on. And uh, Jorn pulls Carl and I aside at the end of the game. Everyone's going out to the bus, and he goes, hey, guys, we got to talk about something. I'm like, okay, like, what's going on? He goes, uh, we just sold the home game. We just sold the game. And we're like, you know, everyone was so excited on the team to get a home game uh, up in Blaine, getting Salt Lake coming in, knowing we'd have a big crowd. And uh, at first we were like, oh, 
shit, that sucks. You know, like our fans were super stoked to have a home game. We're playing an MLS team at home. You know, we're still coming off the 2011 high. And uh, we're like, he's like, yeah, well, they're going to pay us 100 grand. We're like, great. You know, I'm sure we could use the money. So I go, well, the players are going to be pissed, you know, because they're all already excited to host the game. I'm like, so how much are you going to give them? And he goes, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're more you got to give him a bigger bonus than whatever the $40 or whatever we were getting back then. And so, uh, so I think I convinced him to give everybody a hundred dollars extra in cash in, in gift cards, yeah, probably to, yeah. Walmart. to which, which to the national which sports which. center yeah. in which, which, right. So, uh, so we, we weren't going to tell everybody till we got back, you know, we had a long bus ride back and then on the, uh, on the bus it had about, Oh, 1130 at night, he, he kind of grabs Connor and goes, hey, like, we got to tell the guys because the league's about to put out the, or the U.S. Open Cup is about to put out the, uh, the schedule. And it's going to say that we're playing in Salt Lake and everyone's, you know, everyone's on their phone going to figure it out. So we kind of turn the lights on, wake everybody up and kind of break the news. And most guys were kind of pissed and we try to sweeten it with an extra hundred bucks or whatever it was. But <laughs> ultimately it worked out in our favor and it really just started this trickle of like other teams starting to sell games and I think that was the first one. And the reality was it worked because we went and we won. Uh, but Well, I want to ask you about that. But, Bruce, you were on the bus ride back or, uh, or tr van ride back with, with some fans from Des Moines. Yeah, six of us in a, in a minivan, the way I love to roll, by the way. You're a minivan guy. Hell yeah. Six deep. And Joe Leva was sitting in the very back, and, and we were just south of the Twin Cities, and Joe said... They sold the home game to Salt Lake because we were also very excited right, that the, there was going to be a home Open Cup. Because the teams league owned were like desperately trying to get fans to come out. And what what better to like build up hype than we get to host an MLS team? Granted, it's Real Salt Lake, but like it's a, it's still an MLS team. Well, we had the, the Thunder had beaten Real Salt Lake in the in and at James Griffin Stadium. I believe it was six to four was the final score. And Jason Christ, did he have three or four goals for Salt Lake? I think he had three. Yeah, three he goals. Had three. And, that was and the uh, dive like Jamie Watson. That's Jason Christ in the corner right there, everybody. <laughs> that was the Jamie Watson dive like Jamie Watson yep. game. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. So anyways, we were looking forward very much to hosting Salt Lake again. And, and then we found out that the game had been sold and I pulled the van over on the <laughs> on I thirty five because we were all just like you you got to be kidding me and and a few of us got out we kind of paced alongside the road <laughs> and uh, yeah it was a rough night to so find the, that out then the team goes to Salt Lake and the game ends up three to one right tell me yes. I, 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 yeah the so blank you know at that brain, point so. we kind of. You know, we really had this underdog mentality. We were still riding, like I said, that 2011 championship where we were underdogs the whole way through. And um, I don't think we had actually lost since the playoffs had started the year before at that point. So we were kind of on this winning streak or, you know, and um, so, yeah, so we go into Salt Lake. We had this confidence. They filled the stadium. They got 20,000 people and, and, and we beat them. So it was it was kind of great on all ends. And it, like I said, these other teams started to sell their games. And at the time I was like, hey, like if the lower division teams can get some money out of it, it's probably it's a good deal. And Jason, Jason Christ, his press conference afterwards was like, this is the worst 
day of my career or whatever. It was bad. It was amazing. Well, he became the coach of Salt Lake. So the first game he was a player. The second game he was the head coach. Yeah. And he lost again. Yeah. To Minnesota. (laughs) Um, uh, um, One... Uh, there was this period, well, there's always been this period where Minnesota signs people who scores goals against them, and one of them was this player for the Carolina Railhawks, Etienne Barbara, who, um, uh, I, you know, didn't didn't do that well here. Um, but uh, but you, uh, you have this story that you've told me before, uh, Kevin, of, like, he, like, wired you 20 grand or something like this, but I want you to just, just tell the story. Yeah, so I... I, I promised most players I wouldn't tell kind of some of the stories that they didn't want me to share. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Etienne was playing in Vancouver at the time. He's a big car, you know, into, in, into cars and whatnot. And uh, we had a mutual teammate at the time, uh, Brian Farber, who used to play here. And he kind of called me and said, hey, you know, my buddy Etienne, there's this car in Minnesota. Can you, he wants to buy it. Can you help him? I'm like, Sure. So, he, you know, I get on the phone, he calls me. I just know him from playing against him. And I'm, he's like, yeah, there's this car. It's out in, I don't know where it was, uh, Eden Prairie or something. And, and he's like, you know, I, I wire the money and you can go get it and then you can ship it for me. I just need someone trustworthy to go check it out or whatever. So I'm thinking. Is this on eBay or something? Like if someone has like a, a 1960s Dodge. Yeah. 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 He's a big car guy. Okay. And so uh, he wires me 20 grand. And I, I'm, and, and by the way, part of the conversation at that point was he was sitting in Vancouver, wasn't playing. I'm like, hey, so what's the deal? Like, you want to come on loan or, you know? <laughs> so uh, anyway, so I get the money in my bank account and I'm going to go meet this guy for the car. And I go to, and again, mind you, we're legal and we have no money. Like, I go to Jordan and I'm like, so I got 20 grand in my bank account. If we go to the casino and I put it all on red and we win, I'll kick 10 into the club, still get Etienne in his car and just keep half. And of course, we weren't really going to do it, but I, we definitely talked about it. Um, roughly how much, like 20 grand was roughly what percent of your salary? For, for our entire team? For you. Oh, more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Two years worth. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Right, so anyway, yeah. long story short, uh, he he pulled out late. I sent him the twenty grand back, and uh, but then he did come play for us the next year, quite successfully too. Yeah, he probably scored two goals. He also very much went after Alex Schieferdecker on Facebook once because Alex Alex wrote something on Northern Pitch or fifty five one critical of Etienne. So I got a notification this morning that he wants me to like his uh, coffee shop on Facebook. So he has a coffee shop? Yeah, do you want to look it up? Where? I'll tell, tell everyone. You. No, just ramp. Just okay, wait for right. a second, we'll be fine. Uh, I'm gonna move on to uh, you wanna talk about how Minnesota destroyed the NASL because this is a theory of yours. Yeah, here we go. Sorry. Etienne Babara invited you to like espresso beans and fast machines. Where is it? Where? He likes cars. Who's amongst us doesn't like these things? Some of us here like it. It's in... It has no address, actually. It's a concept. It's a lifestyle is what it is. If you like coffee and cars, this is your Facebook page. I hope it's like a... a, 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 Well, that's great. Uh, So there you go. Everyone go on Facebook right now and go find that Tim Barbara's... uh, 
Yeah, uh, Fast and the What's Furious. What's it called? Beans and Wheels or something? Uh, what great, is that? great question. Important question. Fast and the uh, Furious. Espresso for... Beans and no. Fast Machines. Yep. It does rhyme. You got to give him that. Hell yeah. so. I'll share it on the event. Yeah. Uh, you have a theory that Minnesota destroyed the NASL because of the salaries. Yes. Because we want, yeah. But. Yeah, so I, uh, I think this is true, but unspoken of. So I, I left before the end of the NSL collapse, right? But um, Minnesota really screwed the NSL three times, and I don't fault them for it. But we were, again, we were a league-owned team. We had no money. Well, then Bill McGuire bought the team. So now all of a sudden we had money heading into 2013. We went and we bought Etienne and Pablo and all these other guys and spent money while – Sorry, let me back up. We won the championship in 2011 with no money. Then we go back to the final again with no money. So teams start adjusting their budgets. We're like, hey, why are we overpaying players when these you guys can get are... to the final or, or win can... with like paying people 100 bucks? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So then during the off season, we get Bill McGuire as an owner. Well, he's like make a list of the best players you guys want to go get and let's let's figure it out. So Pablo Manny Manny printed out the squad from San Antonio. Basi- basically, um, <laughs> we went we him. sat me and Manny and Carl sat in a room, wrote down the best players in the league and said, "All right, let's make some calls." And so now we're going and we're spending way more money than anyone expects while all these other teams their budgets are set. They're too late to like compete for for Pablo Campos' salary. So we go in, we do that. So that's that's the first. So the first time was by setting it up uh, by having low-paying players. Right. Then we start overpaying players, and so now people are starting to try to compete again. So they start, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the reality is we were overpaying. We overpaid players at our level at the time for what it was, and so then the rest of the league tried to keep up, and so then you got the Cosmos that come in, and all these people are are spending too much money on players for a, a, a league that couldn't sustain that way. Yeah, and the Cosmos really overpaid. Really overpaying. Money. They saw that you were giving a living wage, and they're like, yeah, let's do more of that. Yeah. It was a good time to be an okay player in, yeah. in the U.S. And they gave yeah. Nico Cranshaw like $300,000 for 10 games. Right. Yeah, but, I love the Cosmos. Yeah, I really yeah. do. That was like two years' budget for us. So, so that was the second time. And then the third time was you know heading into MLS, and the reality was... Minnesota had to go to MLS, and the NSL needed teams. And so um, when the team moved up, it was like, well, we don't have enough teams, so the league's, the league's going to be done. That's so, my theory. Um, and then I want to talk about the, the craziness of the Cosmos uh, in general. Um, they brought in some amazing players, but the, they, they first jumped into the league. Raul played in the NASL. I know. <laughs> he played in Blaine, man. He played really well in like Blaine, Like two too. or three times, yeah. yeah he was good. Um, but, they, but they come into the league, and the first thing they do is they're not ready in 2013 to start. And so the entire league, not only did it shift its attitude toward MLS, but it like shifted its entire schedule by creating a spring and fall season. What was it like during... You left when? 20... After 13. After 13. So, yeah. So you got one year of... Uh, of enjoying the Cosmos NESL, what did it do to the league? And just just in terms of you like playing games or being a player in, it, or it, it just coach. didn't make sense that you know other teams were starting with a month's notice, two months notice, putting teams together. These guys were two years no 
two years notice they were uh you know they could put a team together but yet we had to like wait for them to come into the fall season and it, it just didn't make any sense so basically the league as like a lot of people say about like the galaxy and mls like the league was doing things for the cosmos and and really setting up the league just for the cosmos and it and it didn't make sense to anybody else in the league uh jeff you you can help me with this I want to talk about Rio KC for a little bit because one of the sure. How long do we have? One of the most amazing. Well, you and I, that was a, there was a period of NASL where you and I were covering Dating. a lot of it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Brian yep. Korstad is yep. also yep. in the yep. audience yep. Yep. here, yep. so uh, here we go. Wherever Brian is, all right, there, Brian. Brian's chatting. He's always chatting. Um, but uh, uh, we were covering the weirdness of it, but Rio OKC, they were a club in Oklahoma City, started by Rio Vallecano, uh, at the same time as another USL club, OKC Energy. So they played on, I'm gonna set up the first half of the story and you just, right. you take it from there. Great. They played on a turf field that was then part of the breakup of the ownership because the team obviously lasted just one year. Um, so Barely. the minority owner, Sean Jones, had purchased the tiles for this turf field that they played on and, and got the loan for it and he was making the payments on it personally. Right. And then when things went bad, Rio Vallecano sent over one of their guys to try to like figure out why their investment was going so terribly, which they could have just asked any one of us in this room. <laughs> um, and then he apparently tried to sell the turf because the team was like, oh, well, we can just make this money back. So he tried to sell it, and the minority owner was like, that shit's mine. Yep. So he stole it in the middle of the night. Well, what it was is that he estimated that he'd only been paid back for 40% of his stake. So he took 60% of the field. So, and I want... I want to just which read, is that new math? That's some really good stuff, actually. I want to read briefly from uh, the the uh, newspaper article. The NASL team announced in a statement Monday that 42 of the 92 temporary artificial turf pallets were removed from Yukon High School Miller's Field last Wednesday. The team said that minority owner Sean Jones later met with the club that afternoon and confirmed he ordered the pallets removal. The club initially filed a report last Wednesday with the Yukon Police Department <laughs> regarding the missing turf pallets before learning Jones was responsible. <laughs> oh, it's great. So, but that, those turf, that turf field, then take me through the life of those the turf tiles because they are like it's basically like the the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Right. It's like the sisterhood of the traveling turf. Uh, Where are they now? I haven't kept track oh, anymore. They're in o Oakland. O o the Oakland they're still roots, with the Oakland Roots. Okay. Are, uh, the okay. NPSL team. No, it's NISA, which NISA. means they probably sold them. Yeah. Already. So, the, so. But the Oakland Roots are playing with them, but they first went to I don't the New remember. York Cosmos. I thought you covered the story. Never mind. No, I think I think this <laughs> is like this is right, right after I reported Sam Nicholson and we weren't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So uh, maybe I'll just tell the story. Jeff. Jeff sure. only like added yes. I to. did great in the middle. Oh, I nailed it. I'm the Oreo part. Um. Anyway, the, those are the that's the tile story. That's the whole story. We're just uh, done with that. Uh, how about the the Jacksonville Armada starting in 2015, bringing on a coach, really liking his first two months, giving him an extension. This is 2015 through the 2019 season, and then two months later, firing the guy. They gave him a. Yep. So he collected like checks for not doing work for three and a half years, and that's the American dream if you yeah. really think about it. So. 
Jacksonville. They're not man. functioning. The thing, the, I, the thing I always remember about Jacksonville is I would always hear from insiders that their owner was a brilliant guy. And his ideas were going to be the next wave of taking the NASL up the up the ladder, and then he gave the coach and then falling a off three of year contract extension. The thing I remember about Jacksonville Armada is, um, so I want to talk about. <laughs> I have uh, when I started to write my notes of crazy NASL stories, uh, I realized that all of them were San Antonio, so. The first one is Alan Marcina, a former Minnesota Thunder player. Did you play with him? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he was the head coach of San Antonio uh, team, Scorpions, um, and he was fired on the, uh, on the way home from the last game of the season at the baggage claim. That's it. That's the only, that's it, it, only part of the story. Uh, but Walter Restrepo was traded to San Antonio by the Fort Lauderdale Strikers in exchange for hotel vouchers and like limo rides. Do you know more about this story? Do you can you tell the story for me so I'm not telling all these? Well, that that's the story. He was he okay, was Thank you. Great. He, yes, you he, was tra- really he was traded for, he was traded for he was traded for hotel nights in the hotel. So I mean you got to think when when the team traveled, they're getting let's just say 10 hotel rooms plus 150 bucks a night, two nights, $3,000 so maybe it's a three to $5,000 deal, depending on how many rooms they get. So really, he got traded for cash. Now, the teams, the way they would operate oftentimes is they would um, get deals with the hotel where they got X amount of rooms for free. So it might not have cost San Antonio anything, but... Well, actually, the way it happened is that the, the team had a, a partnership with this hotel, and the hotel was like, they were trying to find creative ways to make things happen. And they were like, well, the the... Hotel basically paid for it as their sponsorship. That was their their payment to be sponsors, and so the hotel paid what five grand? Yeah, because it was two trips. Uh, they paid whatever that is. Let's say five grand to be sponsors by just saying we're going to give you a, a a free discount. But like, for <laughs> the news came out and everyone was like, "What the hell is going on?" There, there, there's monetary value to everything, and and in the second division at the time, a lot was done on trades. Yeah, and going back before NSL, I mean, we had to deal with Applebee's that used to be in, in the, the clock tower. Yeah, yeah, shout out oh. Applebee's, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Shout out. We had to deal with Applebee's, and Anyone we might been to Applebee's before. Let's hear it for Applebee's. Yeah, let's there hear it for Applebee's. Yeah, they need the boost. <laughs> we had a uh, we had a uh, uh, Chris Callis made a deal. I think we had like five thousand dollars in, in in gift cards to Applebee's. That team would go, we'd eat whenever, and that was the trade. You know, we, we gave them sponsorship with their logo on things, and, and a lot was done like that. You should, sign, you tried, should have tried to sign a player that way. Um, uh, were you at the... I, I don't think that information was supposed to ever come out publicly. No, the, the great... When I was going back I to I think the, that was the point. When I, but it was in... The funny part, it was in the announcement, and then I went back and read the, the news article, because I think... Uh, Jeff Carlisle or one of the big national people then like saw this story, everyone tweeting and making fun of it, and uh, followed up on it. And the article, in that article, I think they describe Howard Kornfeld, the pre- uh, owner, pre- no, president, they describe him as answering a question about it as like, they just make him sound really sad. 
which I imagine him as a sad person. But um, he, he was like very dejected and said, like, perhaps we shouldn't have said it in the press release. And we should have just said cash considerations. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, Howard Kornfeld, uh, business uh, genius. He also was part of San Antonio Scorpions unveiling their mascot, Sting. Were you at this game or this was beyond your time? No, I, I, don't, I don't think it was a Minnesota game. Was it a Minnesota game? No, it was game? a Minnesota game because oh, it was yes. an away yes, game. Yes, 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 yes. It was the, the yes, first right. home game for San Antonio. Yeah, it was the halftime. season yes. opener. Yes. Uh, um, I believe this is Christian Ramirez's year when he scored the, the goal 20 minutes in. Yeah, I wouldn't have been there. I was watching it. Okay. Do you want to help me tell the, the Sting story? I At halftime, they had built this up for several weeks with little video clips of a new mascot. And then at halftime... A, was it a Hummer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah some a sort of military, military Hummer comes rolling out onto the field with this giant paper mache thing on the back. And it was supposed to be an egg. An egg. Yeah, and but they, it looked like a speckled dildo. Because it was not egg-shaped. It no, was it was not. Clearly it was cylindrical. Dildo-shaped. Spotted dick. <laughs> Spotted dick. Isn't that like a Scottish dish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a beer from Wisconsin, yeah. Spotted dick. There we go. And then they, they hauled it off, this thing, and then it kind of shook, and they played really weird music. Yeah. And then it kind of shook and shimmied and moved, and then it kind of cracked, and boom, out comes this brown thing that's yeah. supposed to be the mascot. A turd scorpion. Yes, it was. And, and then they, did they put it on like a three-wheeled chopper or something and paraded around the field for yeah no oh, it it ran around minutes. the field they handed it a an electric guitar it played some air guitar for a right. little bit right and then it ran around uh, I I think it shot like some t-shirts out I know it eventually ended in a pie eating contest but it was a the video online the video online still I think is still up yeah has no sound no audio right, none. no audio none. But, so, but, <laughs> but I want to set the scene of uh, Minnesota fans Minnesota fans were mostly at the nomad and like not drunk enough for whatever the fuck we were about to see because we were just like gobsmacked that like it was like a seven minute parade because he would run and then he would like fake like do a karate uh, thing like it was like he had little like uh, stations stations of the cross yeah <laughs> indeed indeed it was almost Easter so it was really setting us up for when when do you think that uh, costume goes up on eBay costume you know what? we've on been eBay. waiting for no, two I've been years trying. I know someone who knows where it is and he says he cannot tell me do you is it with Thor Thunder costume Thor I oh the old Thor costume I don't know I mean where do these mascot costumes go they go to a special place mascot heaven yeah. and then where Jordan Buholtz has them in his like basement. And trunk. It's like, they're in his trunk. They, no, they're in his basement. It's a weird fetish room that he has. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. Uh, so uh, to finish up the NESL part. Where's he living? I got to get a flight. <laughs> Dallas. Dallas, I'm going. Uh, so finish up the NESL part. Uh, I want to just talk about the craziness of, of who played in the NESL, the, the big players. That, that you wanted to... Yeah, th well, some of these are not NSL, but some are some are second division but and most Brazilian. But Raul, Marco Senna, Romario, 
Romario played at James Griffin Stadium, by the way. Romario? Romario. Romario. Romario Ibarra. In the Thunder. Romario, Brazil, 1994 World Cup, Romario. Who, wait, who was he playing for? Miami FC. God damn. It Miami was unbelievable. FC. Romario. Zinho, Junior Baiano. These guys all played in freaking USL, pre-NASL. World Cup winners. Yes. Raul. And they stayed at the Kelly Inn. And they stayed at the <laughs> they Kelly did. And they partied at the Sweetwater. All right. I, I have one last NASL yeah, thing. Yeah, please. I wanted to talk about the three commissioners of the NASL. <laughs> oh, the three stooges. Not, no, not, in, David not, not, all so not entirely, not all but two stooges. the original was a guy named Aaron Davidson, and he's one of the people who spearheaded the teams to leave the USL and start the NASL or restart the NASL. And he would come up here because the team was league-owned, and he would talk to the fans, and he was actually very nice. Uh, and not, and never acted like he was too cool for anybody, even though he wore like really expensive, shiny suits and grease back hair. Oh, his and hair. He was he was a piece of work. Of product, in yeah. The day. But yeah. he would chat. He would hang out. Nice guy. He ended up. He's probably still under house arrest. <laughs> he didn't go to jail. He did not go to jail, but oh. he pled guilty for bribery and kickbacks and I think racketeering because they were selling the rights to CONCACAF and USL and NASL. He also, post-conviction, got really into art trading. I don't know if you read this article. Trading? uh, Trading, yeah. He would go to art galleries. There was like an article about how he's getting really getting into selling art. So it's fantastic. So he was number one and he's the guy who led the owners into this new league. The second commissioner was a guy named David Downs, who had worked for U.S. Soccer on and off and did things. That guy could not have been nicer. No, he saved this team. So here's to David Downs. Yep. Here we go. Yeah, the he, story. Made, he made a lot of trips to Minnesota to try and find an owner. His daughter played yeah. basketball with Bill McGuire's daughter. That was the yeah. connection. That's that how they connection. found Bill McGuire. Yeah. Was their daughters went to college together. And then when David left... The last commissioner was a guy named Bill, Bill Peterson. Great guy. Bill oh, great guy. Peterson. Oh, my God. He had these giant, huge wooden teeth. And I found out later that he had bought them at an auction, and they had been... They were George Washington's George teeth. George Washington's yeah. teeth. Yeah, his dentures. George Washington's wooden dentures. And Bill Peterson bought them. I just well, loved when... George Washington, the president. George Washington, the racing horse. Correct. They were, they were, they were like, his. Yeah, dentures. But yeah. still George Washington's, which is worth something. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. No, but I just love that he would do interviews with like us and with Sports Illustrated. Yeah, we're working on forty to fifty different expansion markets. We'll see how it goes. It's like, are you really? Forty to fifty. Forty to Bill fifty. Peterson's forty to fifty was Adrian Heath's two to three one or two, players. two yeah. or three. Right. Right. There we go. <laughs> yeah, like that that's that's transferable. It's like <laughs> convention. Yeah. I don't know. So tell. Reveal, but yeah. I, I did talk to a few ex-teammates, and uh, I promised I wouldn't share any. Buy Kevin stories. a beer, and uh, Kevin will tell you some stories. Uh, so I want to transition to talking about uh, MLS uh, or not. Sorry, Minnesota. Best 11 from the last decade. I feel like, m- for the most part, we're going to agree on things. I haven't seen all of yours. but Johnny um, Steele on the left wing. Johnny Steele. I do have a list of left wing players, but we'll get to that. I want to start with, uh, we'll start up top. Uh, is it 
consensus that Christian Ramirez is the, the best mm-hmm. forward for Minnesota in the last yes. decade? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yes. Yeah, round of applause for a guy who's not go. here. Good. Love that. I had two forwards in my best 11. Oh, my God. You it did was, a 4 4 2? Yep. Okay. Christian Ramirez and Pablo Campos. There we go. Pablo Campos. Shouts the two Pablo. best forwards. Pablo has served beer uh, uh, for us at this bar, so Pablo uh, wins over that for uh, for that. Um, we don't. Do we need to discuss forwards? There's probably some positions we actually could discuss, but yeah, that's not it. Uh, no, Christian, the, the, hands down. I mean, the, there's the no question. The debate probably is more about wingers or midfielders, but we've never had good wingers. I, I went back through the list and. They've been bad, uh, or, or, or just okay. But, I mean, Miguel Ibarra, I don't know if we want to categorize him as a left winger. Just like his whole career here, he has to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did. Yeah. I think the best period, that really amazing period, what year was it? I can't remember. But um, he was on the left wing for us at his best period, right? 14-15. Yeah, from, I mean, he started in 12 on the left. And, and he stayed there really until 15 before he got called in and was, you know, come inside. Yeah. But, yeah, he's, he's the left winger. Yeah. I, I will say that Christian Ramirez, when I, was, when I saw him when we were watching the Open Cup final, he described, he was like, I think Miguel is best as a left wing back. And I was like, you're totally fucking wrong here. <laughs> Miguel does not love acres of space in front of him. He loves passing to other people. Really quickly, um, but uh, so Miguel Ibar on the left wing. Any any have other nominees or discussion about that? Well, just to throw it into complete chaos, I went with my favorite formation of all time, and that was the old Brazil four-two-two-two. So there's two forwards, two attacking midfielders, two holding midfielders, and four, and that means the two fullbacks are the wingers. Okay, they attack. So. Why Brazil we, at its best. You so know, who do you have uh, behind the behind Pablo and Christian? We start over. I have Miguel. Darwin Quintero. I don't know. Darwin so, Quintero. And Mig- Miguel and Darwin Quintero. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, did you do a? We all did a, a four-two-three-one because Heath makes us. We're contractually obliged to do that. <laughs> sure. Until it stops working, we briefly start with a, a five-man uh, back line. Well, Mourinho made it famous. Yeah. So, so uh, but I, I have a special one. Uh, I have Miguel one. and Darwin in there, and then I have uh, on the right wing uh, Ethan Finley. Do, any of those? Do, do you two uh, want to quibble with those? I mean, they're fine. I would say that, like Ethan <laughs> Finley, I, I, and Ethan Finley, I think has been a uh, a good, you know, a B minus to at times B plus. Right winger, which maybe says more about the last ten years in Minnesota, but there's no position group that's been weaker over the last decade than the wings in attack. That's uh, why I didn't have them on my team. Because <laughs> I'm here to win. That's God that big it. brain stuff right there, right there. Yeah, just skip it. Nah. Um, but no, I I put Daniel Mendez. Yeah. But I could. Yeah, here we go. Sure. Got some yeah. applause from, uh, from Teresa. <laughs> but I would take Kevin Molino. Daniel like, Mendez is a very nice dude. so That's why he's on my team. Yeah, I just looked to see if Mendez made my 18 honorable mentions. Oh, you burnt, <laughs> Daniel. He, he did not. 
So I had I had my midfield. I had Miguel Darwin, and and after Miguel, I had Lucas Rodriguez as another sub left. But uh, yeah, Lucas, okay. I, I actually I didn't, and, and maybe mine's more NASL bias or my time. But uh, I actually had Daniel Mendes on the right. I didn't play with Daniel, but obviously by the time I retired, I watched probably more games because I had more free time, and I wasn't here during his time, but. Looking at the list of right-sided players, really, I probably should have left one out and gone with the old Manny 4-4-2, no right midfielder or no left midfielder we used to play sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was fun. Those but uh, No, so I actually I picked Daniel Mendes as well for the uh, right. Daniel Mendes was, he came from Sweden. He was a Brazilian player, but he had come from Sweden. He came in the year when we brought in Ibsen, Giuliano Vincentini, Vincentini and uh, Tiago Calvano, Calvano. It was like Four, the 14-15. That was 14, then Ibsen yeah, 15, the, yeah. Oh yeah, so about the same. Sorry, uh, so it was, and they all were all brought by Pablo Campos. So Pablo Campos, like one of his importance was bringing in these players who obviously we'll talk about the midfield, but Ibsen was obviously way too good for us at that stage. Uh, we we will never live up. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> God damn it! Don't say don't say things about Ibsen in this bar. Ibsen's candle is still over there. Uh, but Daniel Mendez, uh, I think for me, never scored enough, never quite clicked, and he was only there briefly. Don't you and, hate it when your box-to-box midfielder and, doesn't score goals? He was a he was Makes like a great forward. He, no, me, he, oh no, no, Daniel Mendez. Oh, Mendes. that's fine. We're still on Mendez. Yeah, okay. Jesus. Who did yeah. not make that's my fine. honorable mention um, list? I'm going to say it again. Yeah, we we heard you, Bruce. Uh, so, <laughs> the one the, the one reason I put the one criteria I put on this is that I didn't put players. I didn't want to put players who were only there for one year. Uh, who had one great year, which means that like Ozzy Alonso did not make my midfield. So I'll go to the center midfield where what a I had. Dumbass. <laughs> That's the criteria I use, Cruz. So it's who are your center backs? My, my midfield, actually, yeah. Well, my midfield is Giuliano Vicentini and Ibsen. Giuliano was this uh, creaking old man who was brilliant as a like deep, deep uh, defender. Not like he was not like he never would tackle anyone. I don't think he ever tackled anyone in his career, but. He was, like, amazing on the ball. And Ibsen, obviously, like, I, I mean, I, I have, like, fanfic written about Ibsen. So I, I won't it's say your podcast. More. We've got time. <laughs> but uh, uh, midfield, do, do, do you, you want to crit- criticize this, Bruce? No, I have two players in the defensive portion of the midfield, and it's uh, Ibsen and Ozzy Alonso. You put Ibsen mm. in the defensive portion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because he would give up the ball and then he would run back and I try gotta to get him on the field. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Ibsen Ibsen's and Ozzy on the, I don't care if he doesn't defend, he's on the field. That's all yeah. I care about. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have Ibsen and I have uh, Aaron Pitchcolin. Same here. Okay. Pitchcolin, uh captain of the team for a little while, was a center back and a midfielder, came to us from Scorpions, right? Where was he before that? Everywhere. Dallas. 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 Literally Dallas. everywhere. Right, okay. Dallas, San Jose, Puerto Rico. Ja- he was with Jacksonville Armada last, though, right? Uh, That's where he retired. Yeah. He was. Is he, is he still coaching with them? He's, he's not. Um, What's he up to? He's He just uh, got a job with another former. Uh, he's still in soccer. Got a job with another former Minnesota player in soccer. Salt yeah. Lake? No, no. He's not, not coaching. He's not coaching. Oh, I don't okay. know if he would want me to say. All right. Well, um, we'll call him up right now. So none of you guys um, had 
Osvaldo Alonso in the so best I, 11. I, no. I, I, so I actually, similarly to, I only put one player that was here for one year on my team. Ozzy was, uh, Ozzy and Kentaro uh, Takata were my, my next two in the midfield. Kentaro Takata, back in the Twin Cities, not here at the bar tonight, but um, uh, yeah, I, 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 the, the reason I didn't is because I wanted to use this one year rule, and I broke that with um, the yeah. center back. Yeah, you sure did. Yeah, I'll t- I'll explain why. Uh, so uh, fullbacks, uh, I have click to edit, and Justin. It's a good Davis. right back. Yeah, click yeah. to edit. Yeah. yeah. So, Does anybody have a different left back than Justin Davis? No. no. Justin no. Davis was uh, maybe not like you know. Obviously, we saw he he struggled in MLS, but I don't uh, think he struggled as much as people act like he did. He I really don't. He was fine. He had that he, one really bad game where he gave up the penalty and he he like the, had two yeah, amazing yeah the one. Well, I mean, but, but like it's, it's but like, like the idea that he was like one five game and then he's done for his career at that level like that's a joke. That's an absolute joke to me. Well, I mean, there were a lot of people thrown under that bus. There was there was yeah. some muffler work done to to remove the Careful. the heads that were ridden over. Uh, Justin Davis is a. Uh, Best left back of the last decade. I don't think there's even. Can we name another left back of the last decade? No. Who played before Justin Davis came? That guy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, who's that? Kevin Friedland, yep. ladies yes, and gentlemen. Yes, I did. Well, I remember you as a center back. I, yeah, well, as I got older, I moved more yeah, towards I've, the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I was the tallest center back in the league. Anthony uh, in the audience who remembers things. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I remember you as center back. That's why I did not consider you. I, I apologize. <laughs> right back. I hope I made your list for center back. Yeah. Uh, right backs here. Uh, uh, we have probably the, the nominees would be Kevin Venegas. Uh, I mean, you could say Roman Metnir if you want to be Bruce. And Absolutely. Okay. I sure did, too. And I had Brian Coleman as the yeah. three. And, uh, you know, that was actually the hardest one for me because um, you've got three completely different perspectives over the over the decade. You've got Romaine, who obviously had a great year last year, but it was just one. You had Venegas, who over the course of the decade really solidified that spot. Um, and at the beginning of the decade, you had Brian, who was really instrumental in a championship and a final in 11, 12, and 13, who really kind of for three years kind of ran the show. Red card Coleman, indeed. You mess with the bull, you get the horns, uh, as Brian would say. Uh, uh, center backs, do you guys want to make the case for Metonier? No, he was do we by, need to? by far the best right fullback the team has had and in the I, decade. It, and I'll say from, I mean, it's... He has never throat punched anyone. I'll indeed. say from a, look, from a technical perspective, it's hard to compare some of the NSL guys with MLS yes. guys because, like, yes. the, tech, the, the technical skill level of some of the guys in MLS is obviously better than guys 10 years ago. Um, so, yes, Romain is a much better player than both Brian and Kevin, but at the same time, I try to look over the course of the decade and say you know, what they gave to the team. And, and, and it was hard for me to give a one-year guy. Uh, I've got one, obviously, which I'm sure we all do coming up in center back. But otherwise, there's really um, – it was hard for me. Francisco to, to Calvo. That. Yeah, no, yes, I agree. Indeed. I agree. Let's hear it for Fran- – and actually, let's introduce this year's patron saint, Francisco Calvo. Come out, Santo Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
let's let's move to the center backs. I broke I broke the rule and put Ike Opara and uh, Kyle Altman. Um, let's talk about uh, Ike first, because and then we'll we'll talk about Kyle and and you guys can nominate others. Ike Opara, um, more than any other player in the last decade, reshaped this team. I think we can put sixty uh, percent of last year's improvements on Ike Opara. Uh, maybe 40% or 70%. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Or 98%. I don't know. But um, he he uh, brought in, like, calmness. He should be the captain. Uh, he's such a smart player. Tell me about him as a, as a center back, as a, as a left no. back who became a center back. Uh, I mean, so everything you said about Ike and why he's on my list, obviously, as well. Um, and, and that's actually why Kyle's on my list as well. So between the two of them, him and Kyle Altman, that... that there hasn't been anybody since then, and, and there's been a bunch of good center backs, you know, Brand Coleman, Connor Tobin, Cristiano Diaz. Like, these guys all had... Diego Calvano. Diego Calvano. Could be a nominee there. Um, you know, so you had a lot, a lot of guys. Andreas Arango. Andreas Arango. Wrangler. Damian Lowe. <laughs> so, but Jamaican those, international, Damian but Lowe. But I think what, what Ike brings to the team now... Um, you know, you, you can see the backline change and it's the confidence. And I don't I don't know that maybe he's the best player on the ball, but he's solid and he really helped change him and Ozzy really helped change the team over last year. And um, looking back, you know, 10 years prior in 11 and 12, that's really what Kyle did um, and really took hold of the team. So that's those are the two guys for me. Yeah, I've got the same two, Kyle Altman, Ike Opara. Tell me about Kyle Altman, Bruce. Uh, you you were the the one who came up with Kyle Captain Kyle Altman. Yeah, I wrote the song. Yeah, you did. You yeah. wrote the song. Will you sing it? No. <laughs> to the tune of the Human League, uh, "Don't You Want Me." We sang a song for Kyle Altman, Captain Kyle Altman, Kyle glad, Altman. Oh. Yeah. I'm glad he asked you because he was my roommate for like five years, yeah, so I right? can't tell any stories because yeah. I don't yeah. get in trouble. But he's, he's, now, a, he's, he's a, now a surgeon. He so. is now a surgeon, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, again, when you didn't make a lot of money in uh, second division soccer, sometimes you leave sport to go to become a doctor. He's okay. He's he was okay. phenomenal. And one of my favorite things is when he would get pissed off on the field. It was because he was so cool, calm, and collected. And then something would set him off and – he was pretty phenomenal. So he Isn't was, he the player that Pablo Campos punched yes. to get a red card Head-butted. in a playoff Head-butted. game? Headbutted. Head-butted. That yeah. cost actually that cost San Antonio that game, and yeah. then, you know then we signed Pablo the next year. But yeah, yeah, yeah this is 2012 when we made our second improbable playoff run. So so Neil Lavity was my other roommate. So imagine the swear fest in my in my apartment uh, yeah. every night. Uh, so tell me about Kyle though, because he was the captain for uh, the improbable. Victory, the championship, the last victory we've had, championship we've had. Um, and then he was captain uh, for for the, the final of the next year. Uh, what made him a good center back and, and a good captain? Uh, he was obsessed with the game. I mean, he, he came here first in like 2007. 2007 uh, as a defensive midfielder out of college. And we were kind of like, actually, Amos brought him in. Uh, and... Uh, we're like, you're going to be a center back. He had great feet. Uh, he was a little slow to be a center midfielder. Um, and he had a great read on the game, a great tackle. He was hard. He, he didn't really put up with anybody's shit. So uh, he was really, he was built to be a center back. And he was the brains on the back line. And when you partnered him with a guy like Cristiano or Connor Tobin or, or the Braun type player, uh, it was just a perfect compliment. 
Uh, I want to go to the uh, goalkeeping, uh, another position we've never excelled at. Vito obviously was had a one great year, but did I you have pick a great year? Vito? No, I picked Joe Warren. Okay, Papa Joe Warren. Uh, I went Matt Van Okel mostly for the longevity. I think Matt was a good goalkeeper for a long time for us. Uh, but I, but Joe Warren was I saw maybe one season of him as a fan, so I, I can't speak to him. But yeah, I, I had a hard time with that one between the two of them. I mean, Vito like he had a great year, but between Matt and Joe, uh, it was really hard. You know, Matt's longevity I think for me just edged out Joe. But the reality is Joe was a freaking beast. I mean, even when we were bad, I think he saved like three penalty game, three penalties in three straight games, just like stuff like that. That he was just. He came he, out of retirement like seven times for the yeah, team. Yeah. yeah, Papa Joe is what we called him, yeah. and, and you know he lifted the trophy in, in 2011 with us. So, so uh, I want to talk about this. Uh, I want to read a list of names uh, very solemnly. The left wingers we've had since only I think I only counted since 2013. Miguel Ibarra, Jamie Watson, Shinisha Ubiperopovich, Lucas Rodriguez, Simone Bracalello, Omar Daly, Johnny Steele, Alejandro Vela, Yago, Khalif Alassan, Danny Cruz, Bernardo Añor. Remember that guy? Fucking hell. Oh, yeah, I do. Stefan- Venezuelan international. Stefano Pino, Ish Jom, Bashkim Kadri, God bless his soul, Sam Nicholson, Jose Leton, Franz Panga, <laughs> Panga Party, uh, Romario Ibarra, and I wrote Jose Leton twice. Um, you forgot... Robin Lode. Of all the left wings to write twice. Lode, no, I guess I was going in the past. Robin Lode and uh, Thomas Chacon as well. You, so, sorry. Of all of the names for you to duplicate, you chose the guy who played six minutes for Minnesota United. <laughs> Leton is like someone who I love. He's like quintessential. I also Let him through, know. He I needs also it. went through some like great names like Rafael Burgos. Uh, um, Devin uh, Deldo. Uh, Devin Deldo. No, but like uh, just names of people who like, do you remember that they, Richard Garcia, who like took like eight months to get a visa and then like played one game and then left. Um, I, but, I don't uh, see Jason Mora's name should be on here like six times. Oh, a lot. Oh. A lot. Jason Mora is stricken from my memory because of that red card. So, uh, Alexi Gomez, yeah. All right. Guys, or I missed some Let's, names. Okay, the fine. best like footballer in Minnesota people. United history, Alexi Gomez. Yeah. Uh, where's Rodrigo? He's like screaming. Andre Gonzalez. Oh, he's, he's hiding over in the corner. Um, uh, so I want to ask you, though, about not about the left wingers. I just wanted to read their names. I want to ask you about which player of the last decade is the biggest what if? Meaning, either what if things had worked out or what if they were as good as you hoped? And I will, I'll, I'll go first so you can think. Because I still think about what if Bashkim Kadri was as good as I fucking dreamed. Because I dreamed that he was going to come. And he did go on and score some goals once he left here, which everyone does. Um, uh, except for Iago, <laughs> who's in like the 13th division in Thailand. Oh, I don't think he's playing um, anymore. So uh, I, like, I had so much hopes built up on Bashkim Kadri coming back and being great. And maybe he could have been, but uh, do you guys have a what-if player who, like, Bruce, do you want to go? I've got a total what-if moment. 2012 championship game, Uh, right near the 90th minute. I know what you're saying. Minnesota, (laughs) the game is tied, but Minnesota holds the tiebreaker. There's a free kick from about 40 yards out for Minnesota. Everyone's just trying to kill the game off. 
It's looking like a double championship. And for some bizarre reason, Simone Broccolello decides he's going to go for goal instead of just kicking the ball a little backwards and the players just pass it around and they kill the game. He takes the shot. Jeff Attenella makes an easy save, throws the ball out to the left wing, and Tampa goes down to the other end of the field and scores to tie the series and put it to overtime and then penalty kicks. That That's my what if moment. So what if, what, what if we won back-to-back -back championships? Yeah. I have a t-shirt at my house that said we did. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> We have a Dark Clouds auction where that uh, would go very I may high. be the only person with one. The rest of them may have made their way somewhere. But You uh, made it yourself. Yeah, uh, it's true. I did. I made 30 of them, and 29 of them left the country, and one of them might be at my house. Those, those could go fetch a good price at an auction. That's a, uh, that's a good a, one. Do you have a what-if moment, Kevin? Uh, kind of to, to mirror that, I mean, what if – it, it kind of ties into everything. Like, what if we didn't move the dark clouds to the other side of the field? What if we didn't score that goal in the first game against Tampa when yeah. Bill McGuire was there and and the fans toppled over and we created that moment? And what if we didn't have Brave New Media like creating these videos at the time during that run? I mean, the reality is that's whether uh, you know Bill McGuire would admit it or not. That's the stuff that really made all this happen. And, and that's beautiful. It really is. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, if you if you think like what what's across the street from here, like that's not there if he's not at that game. And if we don't score that goal or like, I mean, I, I've told the story before, like the dark clouds used to sit behind the fans. And like if they're yeah. behind the fans, that moment isn't there. So maybe that's a little deeper. But I mean, the reality is like I've thought about mm -hmm. that because people ask me like, like, what does that mean to you? And like, you know, I'm, I'm not a part of it now, but like. You know, the reality is I was a part of that. And, and as many people in this room were, like, what if there was, what if that goal never happened or that moment didn't happen? I mean, this, the team might be playing at the bank with a different owner. With Ziggy Wolf. Uh, mm -hmm. Jeff, do you, have a, do you have a player that you... Uh, can I give you, like, a 20-minute spread? No, don't. In a friendly? Don't fucking do it. Because we need more friendlies in our lives. Um, <laughs> AFC Bournemouth shows up in 2016th, and you have a 20-minute stretch where Sammy Najak throws a ball in his own net, rattles his whole confidence for his whole career. And this is, like, a guy who genuinely could have been as good as Adam Quarse in MLS. I think, like, he had, like, confidence was always the biggest issue with Sammy because he'd be overconfident with his positioning but then underconfident with his performance when he had his feet on the line. And so he throws the ball in his net, and now he's currently playing, bless his soul, in the second division now. They got promoted in Finnish soccer. Wasn't he player of the year, though, or goalkeeper of the year? By the Dark Clouds, probably. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, so the question is, was he the player of the year? I mean, sure, probably. Been. Probably. So, probably would have been. There's so there's that. But then, like, 15 minutes later, Kevin Venegas tears his ACL. Or, like, does his serious ligament injury. And I genuinely think he could have been a very good modern two-way fullback. Yeah. But that robbed him of so much of his, like, explosiveness, his confidence, his moxie that he had on the ball. That as soon as that injury happened, you could just see him making sure, yep, my leg's still with me. And you, and you notice that with a ton of players. And so in that 20-minute span, in a meaningless, stupid game, uh, two players who I think would have been good good performers on that first MLS roster. I certainly think Sammy Najak had a higher ceiling than John Alfberger. 
we'll say that. So Alfie, that was a terrible twenty minutes from Minnesota. I will soccer. say. Uh, um, I was uh, saying, Jim Christ is here. Uh, I was standing next to Jim Christ at the corner flag when uh, Sammy and Jock threw that in, and literally the first thing out of my mouth was match fixing. I, and I am not convinced I was wrong on that. Like, that was, I, I mean, it was the most insane moment I've ever witnessed in soccer. The team and I've seen some crazy, I've seen some dark shit. Well, it was funny because that was like the first game that my parents went to. And I was standing next to them, we were watching, and we were just like, yeah, you know, it's going to be this whole thing. And then, oh, no. And they became season ticket holders the next year. Oh. So the team, just the team needed that viral moment, I think, because I'm pretty sure that, that clip went around, the, uh, went around the world a few times. It did. I was at that the was bar bl- the next day, and I, I uh, just down the street at Big V's, and I, it was on the TV, and we were like, motherfucker. It's on, yeah, there we go. It's on ESPN. That was Nessie Magic. Yeah. yeah All right, magic. Uh, I want to just ask you guys who was the best player to play for Minnesota in the last decade. You can define that however you would like. Well, that, but define it as Ibsen. Hold on, I just I remember I remember one more left winger, which was Lele Gao. Oh yeah. Oh, there we go, Lele Gao. Le, Lele Gao actually may have been one of the best actual technical players that played in Minnesota for his short stint. Uh, but was he in the last decade? Was, was yeah, that a decade? 20, thing? Yeah, 2010. Yeah. He was a 2010. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. First, first, first goal, I think, at, at the Nessie. Still counts. But uh, he's not the best player of the decade. I mean, it's got to be. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, I mean, Ibsen's got to be up there. Uh, but it's, it's, Here we go. We get... it's probably Darwin. Darwin Quintero. Yeah. Okay. Kevin goes Darwin. Uh, Jeff, Bruce, do you want to nominate someone? I didn't pick. I mean, I'm really torn between two or three different players. And Specifically two for me. But I think yeah. Christian has to be right there, too. There we go. Yeah, I, actually, that's that's good. I'll, go, good I'll go Miguel Ibarra. Okay. Uh, I, let me ask you who the hardest working, maybe not the most talented, but the, the kind of uh, spirit of the last decade that you would give it to. The what? Well, Hardest. <laughs> Hardest working would be Miguel. Yeah. 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 No, I there think if I think Minnesota soccer over the last decade, I'm thinking Miguel Ibarra. Um, I mean, he was the, the first and only Minnesota player where that was his club at the active time where he was called up to the U.S. men's national team. I think that means something because yeah. um, Chase Caspers was in 2020. Um, I, I think that y- you look at him – coming here as an absolute nobody, as a, a reject from the Portland Timbers, uh, who at that time had no business rejecting anybody, uh, given where they were at in their build. And then him growing into what he became, going to Club Lyon, then coming back to MLS. And then when he was played in his right position, uh, in a moment of confidence, he was a fantastic two-way right winger in MLS. I think ultimately that's Okay, I heard it. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's probably the decade right there. I think Ethan Finley needs to be on that list too of hardest working players. Yeah, yeah. I'd say one of my one of my favorites, and I've talked about it a lot, is uh, Connor Tobin, who I always thought, you know, you think about that moment of you were describing that moment in Tampa Bay Rowdies, the first leg, and uh, he did not score the goal, but he was the first person I remember seeing, and he was part of that moment of scoring the goal that that caused Dr. Bill to buy the team. And he was just part of that. And I just remember him always being, he's just a hardworking son of a bitch. And he is definitely the second part of that. Yeah, um, it's hard. There's a lot of guys that 
work their ass off, especially, you know, in those days. And, yeah. and you know, Connor's definitely one of those guys. Too. Yeah. Uh, I want to present the patron saint unless you, you have other stories you want to tell. Okay, so this year's, can you grab, it's behind you. Can you grab it? This year, uh, um, we are going to, uh, we have three miracles that we want to describe uh, for the patron saint. Uh, this will go behind the bar. Eventually, we'll have an entire wall of these. But um, we, uh, for Death Loon Solstice, what I want to do is pick a Minnesota, Minnesota legend, right? So May, uh, you know, obviously the first year it was Buzz Lagos, who, uh, without whom none of us would be here. Um, and then, uh, you know, for a U.S. game, we had Brianna Scurry, and uh, and now so again we're doing a, a Minnesota legend. Uh, particularly to professional soccer. And so I would like to present St. Carl. So the same artist, uh, John Daly, who did Brianna Scurry, did this, and uh, I think it's pretty fucking cool. That's sweet. So, uh, Kevin, you can help me come through the, uh, do the, thanks, dude. Um, help me do the uh, three miracles that he completed in order, in order to, uh, to get the sainthood. He's, uh, not, he's not dead. Uh, so, uh, the, I'll start first with, uh, the first is that, and you can help me tell the story, the first is that he survived death to make it to the uh, final in 2012. And if he were here, which he's not, and he would actually be extremely embarrassed, so maybe it's good that he's not here. Thank you for crossing yourself. Uh, uh, he, um, he was hospitalized before the Tampa Bay final because he... Do you want to tell the story? Or I can, but... Keep going. I'll correct you. Carl... I don't know if he was extremely nervous or what he was doing, but he had probably between 17 to 28 espresso shots or something and just got himself crazy and then was drinking lots of water and got his brain got enlarged because of too much water. It was hydroencephalitis, I think is the name of it. Um, uh, if Kyle Altman was here, he could explain Dr. it. Dr. Kyle, yeah. Um, but he got hospitalized because his, he would like, it was like, uh, it was not a minor hospitalization. It was a, you're going to be in here, in here for days type hospitalization. Because he was driving across a bridge. Yes. And he just said, like, I need to pull over. I, I can't do this. Yeah. So we were, you were in the car. We were, we were driving to the, the final in Tampa, so the 12, and... You know, we're taking our minivans, you know, because Bruce likes them. And, uh, yeah, and Carl was driving one, and then all of a sudden, and I was driving one, Manny was driving one, and probably, I don't know who was driving the other one. But anyway, so we see Carl, like, pull off on the bridge. We're going from uh, Tampa to St. Pete, and there's this long bridge you're on. All of a sudden, they pull over, like, oh, shit, what's going on? We're on the way to the game. Like, you know, no one knows what's going on. We show up, and, and he ended up going to the hospital. And... Um, and uh, sorry, that was actually on the that way to the, the training, training the day before. He, he, right, yeah, right. Because he was in the hospital. Yeah. And they were like, this is like life threatening. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we uh, didn't know what was going on. And then the next day we go to the game. He's not going with us. And, and then he did show up just in time for the game. But he told, the, he told the hospital, like, no, 
you're letting me the fuck go. Yeah, yeah. And you don't tell Carl Craig no, because yeah. you can't understand what he's saying anyway. And you're like, all right, well, he's saying words. Uh, he's got to go. Yeah. And as a, as a motivator and, and, you know, a huge part of those teams, you know, not having, potentially not having him there, everyone's kind of like, you know, worried. And, uh, you know, ultimately he did show up. But, you know, it's arguable that if he was there at the training before, that maybe the result could have gone differently since we lost in penalties and that's but the, a whole other the story. the miracle but is surviving death. Absolutely. Do uh, you want to... Number two. Second Number one? two. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. So 2016, he finally gets to be the head coach. For a long time, he's been in the back room. He's been doing a lot of, you know, social media videos. He's been doing the teaching English lessons, all of that stuff. And he's given this team in 2016 and he's told, okay, this is probably the final year before he's going to MLS. So they're signing Ben Spees. They're signing Danny Cruz. They're signing Jeb Brovsky. All these players in the front two-thirds of the field that are really supposed to be pushing the level at the NASL, whatever. And he's like, great. Who do you have for me at center back. Well, we have Damian Lowe. Jamaican international Damian Lowe. And uh, he was not yet Jamaican international Damian Lowe. And yet, the best season of Damian Lowe's domestic career happened under Carl Craig, where he played 25 starts, and he they had a stretch where I think they had 10 games and allowed three, four goals in the summer that year. Really looked like they were going to contend. And then Damian Lowe got a studs-up red card against the Cosmos, ran off clapping before he saw the red card because he knew he was done. Um, and uh, he loved Classic the website low. 55-1, loved Northern Pitch. and uh, didn't. He hated it. And, um, yeah, Carl got a productive season out of Damian Lowe. That made it That is a miracle. A Jamaican international. Uh, final miracle, uh, which uh, you were here for, it, uh, Kevin. Yeah, so uh, Carl's third miracle is uh, Wonderwall. And um, I think what we know... Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone that's here has probably seen the articles or the, the, the videos that ESPN did or whatnot. But, um, you know, he was uh, the biggest piece of that and starting that tradition and... Uh, it's funny because now my coworkers ask me about it and they're like, Oh, what's the story with this? I'm like, Well, it started with like a Do handful you have of us. Half an hour? Half a yeah. Started with a few of us in a car, then it turned into a locker room, then it turned into fans, and now it's uh, an can, entire stadium. Can room. you help me tell this story? Because one of the greatest things and I've written a little bit about it when I've written about Carl, but um, one of the greatest things about Carl is like his uh, his philosophy of psychology which is that he believes in psychological triggers. So he would spray certain scents around players when he would want to encourage, uh, like, you had a good game. He would do shit like that. Because he believed that, like, one of the things that we want to do is create a, a mentality of winning and things. And part of that was things like Wonderwall. Wonderwall is an extremely, like, we're going to, we just won. We're going to sing this song. We want, our, we want us to... We want to build momentum here, but he believes in like psychological triggers like that. And did you ever? Yeah, he's so, also like hypnotized players. Yeah, which is yes. awesome. uh, Matt Van Ockel, uh, Bernardo um, and Yor as yeah, well. That's yeah. how he knew. That. Yeah, Carl is actually amazing. you know very much into the psychological aspect of the game, and you know kind of exactly what you're saying, like different things and smells and sprays, and and it's a mentality that's just a whole other side of the game that most coaches either don't know enough about to institute or, or don't care. Um, you know. He like, I know that he like ran into people who were like, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Because, but he like he just had, you know, he is, uh, you know, he's obviously one of my favorite human beings on the planet. But he just has this different way of thinking about how to deal with humans and how to get how to like get into their brains and help them be better. And uh, and so one of them was, you know, Wonderwall came from that of like I'm going to create a culture of of winning here. And Wonderwall is the culture of winning that he created. That the 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 true miracle that he did is that every one of us, you know, the the supporters groups umbrella is named after it. it you know, he he took a fucking Oasis song and made it made it integral to everything that happens in soccer in Minnesota and and it becomes something that you know when we sang Wonderwall this year for the first time at at Alliance it was it was unreal it was it was extremely emotional I just wanted to tell a quick story about this whole thing for people who may not know the Wonderwall story Carl had gotten the players in the locker room to start singing it and there was a company here in town, still here, called Brave New Media, and their leader, um, Damien Petro, was following the team at different points that season and filming it to make little short documentary moments, five to ten minutes long. And he captured one of those in a game on the road, and the players were just going absolutely nuts in the locker room after a big win, singing Wonderwall, and, and a few days later, that came out on YouTube as part of the ongoing series that Damien was producing. And it was the fans then seeing it on that video and being like, this is incredible. And the next game, the next home game, when the team won... We just sang it throughout the game, I think, at halftime. Very or possible, we, yeah. yeah we time. just The fans just started singing, and the players were so excited and joined in after the win. Yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, just to give a little bit more context to the background is, uh, you know, we had started a few games before that. And like I said, it started kind of in a van or on the way to the bar after the game and start with a handful of guys. And then, like, it's just contagious, as you guys kind of have experienced now. And um, and that game that was the last uh, last game of the regular season, we had to win. Uh, Carolina was basically accepting their regular season trophy. We knocked Montreal out of the playoffs. Took the last spot them to the MLS. Yeah, on their way into the MLS, and uh, we're that, in the Joey. locker room. And there's video. If you haven't seen the videos, I, I definitely suggest going to see it because it gives you some context of the background. And we're like in the locker room, just banging on their. Lo- they're out getting a trophy on the field, and you know, obviously, we got some friends there, Nick Platter and and, and guys that used to play here. And uh, they're like accepting their trophy, and we're in their locker room just singing Wonderwall, banging all over their lockers. You know, we're back there the next week to play, or two weeks later to go play them again, and um, to beat them again. Yeah, yeah. and and kind of to Bruce's point, like, you know, those videos, like we have, there's record of our championship season, and and seeing that culture built throughout the year, and we were six, we were six seed, like we weren't a great team, but yeah. you know, watching Carl from like the first video all the way to the end. And, and, and that culture is really, you know, yeah. he's, he's got a big part to do with it. Well, um, February 16th is the first playoff game, or preseason game, sorry. <laughs> Play- playoffs? We're in the playoffs, motherfuckers. The first uh, preseason game, so we'll, we will have a watch party for that. Um, I want to say thank you. Kevin, it's great to have you. We will have you on the podcast again sometime. Uh, it's great that you're back in Minnesota, and I've seen you like t- twice. Uh, Jeff Reuter, Bruce McGuire, as you're always, welcome. great to see you guys. Thank you, everyone, Thanks for coming out. Tip your bartenders, and we will see you soon. Thank you.